All right, um, we're continuing our, our series, which is called The Church is Called to Be. Now, there's a lot of things that the church could be called, and we've chosen three things that I feel like reflect our dependence upon God and our care for the community. And so the things that we want to be identified by are generosity, being missional, and being prayerful. What's beautiful about those three things is that that is exactly what the Trinity was. God was incredibly generous to us in saving us in the first place, wasn't he? In fact, the fact that he would love his enemies at all is a grand generosity and then not require that they figure it out, but provide every means that they would need to come to know him as father, not just king, not just tyrant, but daddy, Abba, father. And we are called to be missional, which we'll talk more about next week, because who came to us? Did we go to Jesus? Did we go in search of Jesus? We didn't, did we? In fact, we, we, we don't search for much of anything, if we're honest. And we talked about that this weekend. What are the two areas that men traditionally struggle with over and over and over and over and over? And I could go on again. My prayer life and my devotional time. Yeah, we... It's clear we don't search for Jesus even when we found him. That is an indictment, and we need to wrestle with that, and we shouldn't just be comfortable with that. Yes, we get to come as we are, but we should not stay as we are. And so we're called to be missional because Jesus was called to be missional because we are his bride, and he is our head, and we are called to do the things he did. And we're also called to pray. Isn't it beautiful that the Lord provided a means that even when we don't have the words to say that who groans on our behalf? Holy Spirit, and amen. I don't know about you, but there's times when I just don't have the words. And so even in my prayerlessness, God is faithful. And so that's kind of an overview of the series. This morning, we're talking more about generosity. And uh, this is a part of uh, how to commit pastoral suicide, preach predestination the first week, and then giving the second week out of predestination, right? And so how many of you are excited that you get to hear a sermon on money and giving this morning? That's a rhetorical question. Do not raise your hand. I'm saving you the sorrow. But my hope is that this is not a sermon actually about money at all. This is actually a, a sermon about worship. This is a sermon about heart condition. And so I hope that what you will hear, because again, as we've talked about before, in the speech act, which is a sermon, as I am moving in a direction, if you hear something you don't like, you're going to clip out for a second and not hear the rest of what I'm saying. So try to kind of hang with me. If you hear something you don't like or something that you are concerned that I have said, please be gracious to me. Give me the opportunity to either wiggle out of it or to explain it rightly. And so, uh, so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So here's the thing that I want you to take away. So hear, hear this. This is the main point of the sermon this morning. The church is called to be generous as a worshipful reflection of God's generosity in Christ and a reflection of genuine love to others. Now, what did I just say? Your generosity is grounded in the two great commandments. If you're going to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, you must reflect that in your generosity. It's, a, it's an act of worship for you to give of anything, whether that be your time, talents, or money. So this ain't just about money now, is it? And it's also a, a reflection of how much you care for others. If you would not take the time to be generous to others with nothing that you could receive in return, then how much do you really love them? If all of your generosity, quote-unquote, is founded in reciprocity, 
Right? I just did a little rhyme thing there. Did you guys catch that? If that were founded in that, then it's not generosity at all now, is it? Reciprocity is, um, is to suggest that somebody owes you something. And by, based on what God did, um, there is nothing owed. It's been paid. So, I want to say it again. The church is called to be generous as a worshipful reflection of God's generosity in Christ and a reflection of genuine love for others. Now, let's think about this for just a second. How, many, how, how do you respond? What, what do you think about somebody who is just generous? Have you ever gone out to a meal with somebody and they paid for it and you didn't expect it? What do you think about that person? Jerk. That's not what you thought at all. In fact, you were like, he's a better person than I thought he was, as it turns out. And so we respond almost universally to generosity in the same way. We love it when people are generous to us, don't we? We love it. And we always think highly of those folks. We do. We, we never think negatively, unless their generosity is about reciprocity now. If they're giving you something in order to get something in return, now you do stop and go, jerk. And so, I mean, that's just how we respond, right? And so, it is critical that we recognize how greatly generous God has been to us. This is why generosity is an act of worship. Generosity is about what we believe about God. If you give in a pitiful way, then you have a pitiful view of God. Now, that's a very strong statement. I recognize that. But it is one of the canaries in the coal mine. For those of you who know anything about coal mining, what's the canary? What does he do? He indicates when the oxygen is running out. And if he dies, what does that mean the miners are to do? Get out. It's a sign of the health of the shaft. And so this is a canary in the coal mine. If you are not generous, then I'm going to argue, as Paul does in 2 Corinthians, that you are not healthy spiritually. So, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, both chapters, and I would encourage you this week as part of your devotion time and reflection time, read both chapters in full, because uh, it'll give you a, a bit of a fuller perspective on what Paul's talking about in terms of generosity and giving. But he makes it very clear that generosity is an important reflection of God's generosity in Christ, and it evidences very clear how much we love other people. It is a key aspect of, of the Christian life and our worship. But it's the thing that we don't like to hear about. Now, let me put you at ease. I'm not actually going to be asking you to give more money to the church at all. So let me straight away say that. We're, we're, I'm not asking you to give one dime more to the church. What I want you to do is become generous in terms of other works of the gospel, church plants, missionaries, missional works of other kinds, and just general generosity to your neighbors and those around you. So I'm not asking you for money at all. But what I am saying is that we need to be, if we're going to be an entity in the community that matters at all, one of the things that the community should be able to say about us, whether they agree with our soteriology or our theology or anything else at all, they need to be able to say at least, man, those guys are generous. If we can say nothing else about them, what a wonderful thing to have said about us. But it ain't about us, is it? Because that opens the door for us to say, well, let me tell you why I'm generous. Because of the gospel. Listen to what David E. Garland says. He says, when people are spontaneously generous toward others, 
Paul takes it as a clear evidence that God's grace is working in and through them. Do you hear what he just said? He said, your generosity is evidence of God's grace at work in you. And who said that? David Garland? No, we're going to see Paul says this. So if you would turn to the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, we'll actually walk through verses 1 through 5 to start. So if you would, hear God's word this morning. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Let me pause for just a second. Did he talk about money yet? No, what did, what did he start with? What did he call this? He, what he's wanting you to see this as, what we're going to talk about in terms of generosity, that this is founded in, this is about the grace of God. And if that is your starting point, then it's a different conversation than if we're just screaming at you all the time about your giving being paltry. So it's critical that we recognize where Paul grounds it because that's where we want to ground it. Let me just also say that the churches of Macedonia included the church at Berea, which we know from the book of Acts. What were they known for? They were known for taking what the apostles taught, going back and checking it to make sure that what they were hearing was true. They cared about the truth. The church at Thessalonica and the church at Philippi, if you've read the book of Philippians, you see how much affection Paul had for them. Why? Because they partnered with him and partnered with him in many ways in terms of the gospel. They gave when they didn't have it to give. So these are the churches in Macedonia that he's speaking of, just to give you context. It goes on to say, For in a se severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What in the world? That sounds incredibly paradoxical, right? How in the world does a severe test of affliction result in their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty resulting in generosity? I don't know if you, those who are math people in here, and I know there's a couple of them, that's a terrible equation. Something's broken in that, and it's even broken seemingly philosophically. See, what was going on in Macedonia, it wasn't that the churches were poor just because they were poor. There was religious persecution going on such that it was causing them to be impoverished. But because of the grace of God, and they recognized that this is merely a test. Now, how could they call religious persecution a test? Because they knew that God was sovereign. And that evil could not have the final say, and that the church would never be bankrupt. Now, when you know that, it changes your ability to be generous now, doesn't it? When you recognize that God is truly sovereign and everything that you have has come from Him and His deep well of eternal generosity, and that He desires that you would on and on and on be able to worship Him and to love those around you, no matter your condition, you can be generous. You can afford to give away all that you have knowing that it will be returned. Now, did I just say prosperity gospel? Did Cameron just slip and fall? Can we do church discipline on the spot? That's not what I just said because prosperity gospel says so a seed of faith and you get greater in measure. No, what I just said is all that you use in the worship of God, God will make sure that you always have so you can always worship him and you can always love your neighbor. It's not about you. Prosperity gospel says it's about you. I'm saying this is about God. And so here they're being persecuted and they recognize in God's sovereignty this is merely a test. 
This is nothing that is going to take away who and what we are in the gospel. And so it results in an abundance of joy. How many of you have ever undergone really, really any sort of religious persecution? Like being, being put down for your faith by those around you. I was an artist, and the art world is an incredibly dark place, and I was told many times, don't you dare breathe a word of your faith here. Because if you do, you will be run out of town. They, you, they'll lose all respect for you. Beautifully, what, God, what do you think God did in his sovereignty? Every single solitary time I wanted to tuck tail and quietly recede into the background, something would come up where somebody would say something like this. In fact, this was actually said one day. Uh, my mother said that in Ephesiastes, it said, so I could remain silent and let this person go on to think that Ephesiastes is actually a book. It's not even in the Apocrypha, by the way. It's no book at all, as it turns out. I could remain silent and do what? Put my lamp under a bushel out of fear. Or I could recognize that the Lord is sovereign and this was but a test and take great joy in being able to say, no, <laughs> there is no book of Ecclesiastes. And based on what you're quoting, I think that's actually Ecclesiastes, but the better news is in Ephesians. And then I became known as the Bible guy, which I'm not sure that's a good thing because of Bible man, if you know anything about him. And so you know, the, the Lord always gave me an opportunity to share my faith in these things. And guess what never happened? I was never run out of town. Yes, did the darkness encroach? Yes, did people diminish me and sneer and make fun of me? Sure they did. Sure they did. But did it change who I am in Christ? Not one iota. And so it's important for us to remember that regardless of persecution that may come your way, that's not to be feared at all. What you should fear is not living life more abundantly. What you should fear is not being able to drink deep of the grace that the Lord has given you. What you should fear is, is that you would not be able to taste of the goodness of who Christ is to you between the now and the not yet. That's what you should fear. And so we should desire that our joy would be abundant and that regardless of our, our, uh, what our financial situation is, that we would long to be generous. And what a great reflection of the gospel that is. And so here, the Macedonian churches, though they are being tested, are doing this amazing thing. And it goes on to say, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. What did Paul just say? It says that they, they gave what was probably expected, and then they gave even more than that. This impoverished church who was under persecution wanted to ensure that the gospel was going forward in other places. Who are they giving to? The saints at Jerusalem. If you know anything about this time frame, what was going on in Jerusalem was the church just blowing up and the government loved this Jerusalem church. No, they were under fire and they were sinking. But the Macedonian churches recognized where they had come from and the faithfulness of the saints at Jerusalem that wanted to keep doing the work of the Lord and they wanted to be part of that provision. Let's read what he says next. He goes on to say in verse 4, listen at this. This is crazy. This is just paradoxical. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Who does that? 
Who does that? Who, who begs? I, never in, that I'm aware of have I had somebody come up to me and say, please take this check. Can I give more? It's not what we do, is it? Now, some of you may, and some of you are incredibly generous, and maybe you would push back and say, well, Cameron, have you read Matthew 6 where it says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing? And that's true. I don't want you celebrating yourselves. I don't. And you're right to push back against such an idea. We're not going to put your name on a placard if you do that. You don't get a memorial chair. You don't. But what you do get is the joy that comes from being generous as your God has been generous to you. I just want you to notice that they are longing to participate in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. Listen to what Ralph Martin says. He says, normally we think of the fundraiser as begging the would-be doers, right? Isn't that how it goes in church? It's like we, you find out there's, a, there's a, a sermon on giving and suddenly, oh man, your spleen hurts and you can't make it to church that Sunday. Or you just, you really, you don't want to hear it. We, we do, as in our culture, to talk money and those kinds of things, you just, you've gotten political almost. And it is, it's very, very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for the preacher as well. Don't, don't get me wrong, because it is a razor's edge that cuts both ways. And so Ralph Martin says, that's what we think of. That's normally when we think of giving. And, and how unfortunate is that reality? That when we, we think of giving, we don't think of God's generosity first. Woe be unto us that this is the way we think. Listen to what it says, though. He says, here it is the donors who could least afford it who entreated Paul for the favor of having a part in this enterprise. What did the Macedonian churches understand? Their treasure was in heaven. They had been given the single greatest gift of all in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit and their Abba Father. They got it all. They're not losing anything at all. They've already gained it all. So it didn't hurt them at all. They wanted to participate, to be able to rejoice and celebrate with the saints in Jerusalem that were suffering. Would that, that would be our mindset for the going forth of the gospel. This is why I'm saying I'm not asking you to give to Christ Community Church. I want you to be passionately generous about the things that are advancing the gospel. Those who are on the front lines and who are genuinely suffering for these things. Those who are planting churches in hard-to-reach areas. I don't know if you know this or not, and I bet that you do because you're a pretty sharp crowd. But this nation, if it was ever Christian at all, and I know I just threw out a hand grenade. Let it roll down the aisle. I got it. It is post-Christian at best now. We are slouching away from Bethlehem. Are we not? Anybody know what happened in Houston? I don't want to say anything. I don't want to get subpoenaed. I got it. She backed off, by the way, for those of you who know. But it was, the first, it was the, not the first shot crossed the bow. It was one of many to come. Am I afraid of that? No. Why? God is sovereign. But a test. So it's incredibly important that when we when we think of generosity, that we actually care about what it, it, the effect that it has on the gospel going forward. Now, have any of you benefited from the whole pay it forward idea? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you pull up at Starbucks and some person four cars ahead of you bought your pumpkin spice latte for you. And then the person behind you gets mad because you didn't buy theirs. I don't know how that's generosity at all, but, but there is this kind of pay it forward notion. Now, what's the problem with the pay it forward idea? What's missing? 
relationship. Now, random acts of kindness, fantastic. Do that all you want. I don't, don't, don't stop doing that. That's great. But what you're missing out on is relationship. Random acts of kindness probably serve you far more than it serves someone else, if we're honest. And so what we want to do is to, whatever it is that we give to, to be significantly involved with so that we can rejoice. This is one of the things that I loved about Christ Community Church and their ideology and philosophy of engaging missionaries. You know how many missionaries we support? How many? Four. If, I, if I'm right, in one church plant, which is in Cartersville. That's not a lot, is it? But here's our philosophy. Why support 25, 30 missionaries at 100 bucks a month that we could never keep up with and hardly ever know what's going on in their lives, but we could put on a bulletin board somewhere and feel good about what we're doing? I'm not critiquing that in toto, but it, it is missing the relationship oftentimes. What we wanted to do was to be able to help a few missionaries significantly and be able to know what was going on in their lives. So starting next week, one thing that we're going to do, you notice we didn't do the missional video this morning. That's because you've got the opportunity to be somewhat missional in terms of taking the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper equips you for what you need to go into the world and do what it is you were called to do as the church. But next week, we're not going to have a video either. What we're going to do is start having a monthly update from our missionaries so that we're staying involved as a church. It's not just a handful of people who know them, but we as a church begin to recognize what they're going through, what they may need, ways in which we can be generous to them. So we're going to start highlighting that every single month. So three times a year and even a little bit more, we'll get to hear what's going on in their lives. So... What I'm asking for, what I'm calling for from Scripture is that you would be involved in what you give. Don't just write the check and forget about it. Actually pray for it to bear fruit. Look for opportunities where you can be involved in and engaged with those who are doing amazing things. I've got a friend who's in East St. Louis. If you know anything about East St. Louis, it is a very, very violent and difficult place. At one time, the statistic was that an African-American male was 80% likely not to see his 19th birthday. Does that, do you understand? If I brought 100 young black males up here from East St. Louis, we could take 20 of them that way and say, yeah, you'll be okay. The other 80, it ain't good for you. Why, we can't be okay with that. So we got a friend who became a coach at East St. Louis High School. If you know anything about high school football, East St. Louis is one of the most talented schools in the country. And so he's their strength and conditioning coach. And so we, we support what he is doing. Now, I'm patting myself on the back. No, I know Shane Fast personally, and it is an absolute joy when I open those emails and read how they're doing. And get to, when he's struggling, kind of speak into what's going on and those kinds of things for the different folks that we support. So what I want for you to think about and do is to think about how you can really get involved in at least one, one work that is advancing the gospel in a difficult circumstance and to do so in such a way that you're getting your hands involved. And again, maybe what your great gifting is, is you're gifted to make money. There's no shame in that. God gifts you that way and give. That doesn't mean you're abdicated from praying or sending encouragement. I've got a friend who's a missionary in Kenya, deep bush missionary. He's going to be there his whole life. He's got four little girls, and they need to be in Africa. They're mean as wall-eyed rattlesnakes. It makes our country safer. <laughs> and they, No, they're, they're beautiful, but they are tough. 
And so he's in Africa building water wells in the Maasai, which is in the deep bush, not the touristy part. And so he has told me time and again that one of the most discouraging things for a missionary is that people give and don't care. They never check on them as people. It's great that you give, but when do you ever check on me as a person? So I want us to be generous in these things. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 5, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by will, by the will of God to us. That emphasizes the point that I just made, the priority. They recognize that God is who they are giving themselves to. They're giving themselves to the work of the Lord their God, and then they're giving themselves to the work of the church itself. That's the priority. It's not for me to bind your conscience. If you don't want to give, you just don't want to give. I'm not going to beat you up over that. If you don't want to worship, you don't want to worship. I can't, I can't make you desire that more than you do. Only the Spirit can move your heart in that. And so it's important that you recognize what's, what's the priority and what's first. So, how do you respond to opportunities to give? Are you like the Macedonian church and you can't wait to get involved in what people are doing? Or are you more worried about whether or not you can have all the things that you want and your comforts? I know that's a tough line, and I feel it too. Trust me, I'm hitting my own heart as hard as any of yours. How does this reflect the actual grace of God that has been so generously given to you? Do you recognize that your generosity is an act of worship? I know we say that a lot, but do you really get it? And if not, you need to wrestle with that. You need to wrestle with, why don't I see my resources as opportunity to worship? Instead of, instead of seeing it as, oh, yeah, i got to do that again. Where's the joy in all that? And why are you missing out on the joy that the Lord has so graciously implanted within that so that we could be celebratory in, gener in our generosity? Let's look at verses 6 through 11. It says, accordingly, we are now Paul's going to shift from the Macedonian example to challenging the Corinthian church. And just for a second before I start this passage, Corinth, man, they had it all together, right? First Baptist Corinth, first Presbyterian Corinth. No, they didn't. They were in disarray. But the second letter has a different tone than the first letter now, doesn't it? So now Paul is giving instruction for them to be able to worship God in spirit and truth and to find unity. So this is part of that. He's not beating them up about their giving. He's actually encouraging them that this is a means by which you can recover from all of the craziness that has been going on in the Corinthian church. And so, here Paul says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you, listen, this act of grace. How many of you have said, as you dropped your check into the passing bucket, oh, that was an act of grace. Well, you should. You should recognize that you're giving. It is an act of grace. Why? Who gave it to you? Who gave it to you to give? Who moved you to give in the first place? Who moved you to care at all about the work of the Lord? He did. It is an act of grace that we have this opportunity to be generous to those around us and to see things change. Remember what I said, how we think about those who are generous. He goes on. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Did you see what he just did? He said, this is about the fullness of your worship. This is about the Christian life. As you excel in all of these other things, you need to excel in your generosity. He says, I say this not as a command. Well, wait a minute. Is Paul doing a little bait and shift? Is he trying to throw us off a little bit? Like, ah, it's not really a command, but it is, after all, a command. No, what he's doing here is he's saying, I'm not commanding you to do this. In fact, what he's saying is exactly what we believe. I can't bind your conscience. But what I'm telling you is that it will have an impact on your worship if you don't. What I'm telling you is it will have a deep impact on the Christian life if you don't. Sounds kind of like a backhand command, but it's not. It's actually a deep encouragement. He goes on to say, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Paul is taking a moment to step back and say, might I remind you of what Christ has done for you? Might I remind you of, of the fact that Christ became bankrupt so that you could become rich and lavish in the grace of God. This idea of generosity is firmly rooted and grounded in who you are in Christ. And then he goes on, verse 10, And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to, desire to do it. So he is, in this part, challenging them. Now remember, a year ago you guys said you wanted to participate in this, and now it's time for you to do what you said you were going to do. Do you recognize that those of you who are church members, that you've made a commitment to be generous? Maybe you're going, whoa, 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 was that in the fine print? Because I didn't read that. No, you, why, do you, why did you make a commitment to be generous? Because you made a commitment to worship. And generosity is part of your worship. Now, am I saying that if you're not giving 10%, you're not worshiping? No, I didn't say that at all. In fact, if you're not giving generously, you're not worshiping. And I don't know what that figure is for some of you. In fact, some scholars have f discovered and reasoned that actually 23 and a third is the New Testament principle. Whoa, what? That guy, he must be a liberal. But I'm not, there, there's not a, an amount that you are called to do. The whole 10% issue, I don't want to get too far down this track because we're actually not talking about tithing. We're talking about generosity, which are two different subjects as a matter of fact. But the whole issue on tithing is um, that comes from when Abram gave to Melchizedek, he gave him 10%. So we figured, ah, that seems like a pretty round number. That works. Let's just do that, right? But what we're supposed to do is give of what we have. Some of you, all you have is the widow's might. And I suspect the widow's might probably wasn't 10%. In fact, it may have been more. Whoops. So we are to give out of our worship. We are to give as we are led. We are to give, as Paul will say further on in chapter 9, as a cheerful giver. That's what God wants is that we see this as worship. If you're begrudging, I don't want your money. 
If your giving is going to cause you to stumble and think ill of the church and to think ill of God, don't. Just don't. When have you heard that? Because I'm more concerned with your heart and your worship than I am your money. Because guess what the Lord's going to do for us? He's going to provide. He's going to provide for you too. And I want you to get that right. I want you to recognize the ground from which generosity is to rise for you. I don't want you to feel beat up every time we talk about giving or money. What I want you to do is get excited because we have yet another opportunity to see the work of God go forward. So if Jody Stansel's church, Riverside Community Church, which is the church plant that we, we support, if he comes up and he's going to have to either close his doors or continue the work of the gospel in Cartersville. How many of you know anything about Cartersville? Is it, is it the New Jerusalem? Or is everybody saved in Cartersville yet? No, they're not. It's hard work to plant a Presbyterian church in Cartersville. And so if we would say, well, Jody, (laughs) dude, I'm sorry, man. I I hate that for you. God's obviously spoken. Instead of being generous and saying, all right, what do we need to do to make sure he stays open for another year? Or a missionary who hits a hard time, a test, as it were, would we be willing to say, hey, we want to make sure you stay on the field for another year or five years or ten years? You know what a blessing it is to receive something like that? Would that we would be a church who gets known for that? Excuse me. And so the Corinthians are being challenged to be generous. And listen to what Charles Hodge says about this challenge. He says, The real test of the genuineness of any inward affection is not so much the character of the feeling as it reveals itself in our consciousness as the course of action to which it leads. What did he just say? He's saying it's not about the strength of your visceral response. It's not about how you feel about it. It's about what you do. What you do is actually the test of genuineness. Not, oh man, I'd really love to, but I can't. I'd really like to be able to help, but I can't. It's whether or not you do. Whatever it may be. One of the sweetest things about being at Strong Tower was the time in which the offering plate would pass. It was also a very dangerous time because some people would try to make change and we weren't sure it always worked out in our favor. But... Our offerings, no kidding, would sometimes total $32, $37, $40. I don't know if you know the math on this, but you can't run a church like that. But when Ernest, who I knew was on disability and didn't have a job and had not much to eat, would hand me $5 and ask for two back because three is all he could give. It's one of the most moving things I've ever seen. When Miss Arlene, for Christmas, gave Susan and I a dollar. I don't know that I've been given a greater gift. Because I knew she didn't have it. And I didn't want to take it, but I also didn't want to take the opportunity for her to be blessed in her worship. I probably should have had that thing shellacked and framed. But I didn't. I think we used it for something. I don't know. All right. (laughs) Excuse me. So, what does your level of generosity reflect about the quality of your Christian life and your love for others? Did you, the genuineness of your love for others is evidence in your generosity. So, what does yours say about you? That's a rhetorical question. I'm not here to beat you up on that, but do you need to think about that? Is that worthy? I mean, is that worth us taking time to think about, or do we just shove it to the side and keep on moving? No, I would hope that this Lord's Day, 
you would be courageous enough to ask the Spirit to show you whether or not your generosity reflects your genuine love for others and your genuine love for Him. And I pray that you would pray the same for me because I don't want to ask it either. It's a dangerous question. And I like kind of where we are. I feel like we're in a groove. We've got it going on, right? But the Lord likes to upset those things sometimes to reveal Himself. And so I want to be tender to that. I would much rather grow closer to him than grow closer to whatever it is I could purchase with my own funds. And to see the work of the Lord go forward and celebrate in that. Verses 12 through 15, let's walk through this. This is, as some scholars refer to it, the manna economy. And so here what Paul is doing is he's reminding them of something from Exodus chapter 16, which we walked through a little bit. Remember how we talked about part of God's provision was the manna that he gave them in the wilderness, the bread of life, and who is the bread of life? Christ himself, as John says it. It's not that Christ brings us the bread of life. No, he is the bread of life, something we need to be reminded of. Verse 12 says it this way. For if... The readiness is there. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Now, there are some people who say, see, you Christians, if you are truly Christians, ought to be socialists. Is that what he just said? No, he's not saying that everyone should have the exact same amount now, did he? He didn't. And in fact, he's not saying, because socialism and what I would call deterministic communism is blind. Everybody ought to get the same thing. Everybody just receives the same low amount. And generally, who is ever in charge gets the most. That's an odd, I don't know how that turns, but it does. It always works out in those systems that that's how it goes. But that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is everyone should have what they need where they are in context. So that they, why? Why should they have what they need? What's, what's behind all this? So that they can live quiet lives of desperation. Eating potato soup and ramen noodles every day. Why should they have what they need? So they can do the work that the Lord has given them to do. They should have what they need so they can carry out what it is that God has given them and called them to be and do. That is the fullness of human flourishing, is it not? To be able to be Christ-like. See, this was the hardest work as we worked deep in the inner city. Was We weren't trying to get people just to some base level. We were actually trying to help them become worshipers of the living God. I cannot wait for the day when the tithes at Strong Tower move from $37 to maybe $55 so they can give $15 to a missionary. Because they recognize that the work needs to go forward. And so that's what we want to see happen. That's what he's calling for. This isn't just about living. This is about worshiping and actually doing and being what the church is called to be and do. He's not saying, he's saying give of your abundance. He's saying I'm not, I'm not calling you to be so strained and strapped because what would happen to us, what would happen, how would we think if we gave so much that it just absolutely hurt and we were groaning and suffering, we would become self-righteous. He's saying I'm trying to protect you from yourself here. 
Give of your abundance. Give what you feel called to give, but give it in generosity knowing why. And it's interesting, he says that you will get something in return. What do you think that is? The joy of knowing that the Jerusalem church continues to preach the gospel in a very dark and broken place. You're gaining brothers and sisters. And that should make us rejoice, shouldn't it? That's why we need to be deep, more deeply involved in the things we give than just writing the check, forgetting it, getting that, you know how you, you get the update letter in the mail and you're like, oh, I can't read two pages right now. <sighs> can't read a whole email. You know what? I got, I got, I got things I got to do, right? can't get involved in this. It's a sad commentary. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. We should care about those things. We should take and pray for them and genuinely be involved. And then Paul uses the example from Exodus 16, verse 15. He says, And it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And this is the story from from the Exodus when the people were in so great a need and they were raising all kind of sand and he gave them the man and the quail and everything they needed they were able to gather for their family. No family had lack. And every single day it was provided. And if you remember, he provided double on the day before the Sabbath. Why? So they could worship. And if they did try to keep more than they needed, what happened? Suddenly worms and pustules and all kind of nastiness broke out. Because they were trying to do it on their own. So Paul is reminding them of God's great provision of giving them exactly what they needed when they needed it. And he's calling them to be the means by which God will provide exactly what the Jerusalem church needed when it needed it. Are you willing to be that, church? Are you willing to be an instrument of God to provide for others exactly what they need when they need it, knowing that God will provide for us exactly what we need when we need it? Richard Pratt says this, God desired that the needs of his people be met. Even so, God was not accomplishing his desire through the miraculous distribution as in the Exodus. No, in this case, he called on the church to care for his people. See, this is one of the dangers, I'm afraid, for us, Christ community, as, we are move, as we're selling the land, and we'll, we'll get a lump sum of money come to us and we'll have the opportunity to get in our own space. Will we have a 65-inch screen in the narthex and smart boards in every room so that we can do what God has called us to do in this place? Is that going to be the only thing we care about? Or will we say when we have that, maybe we don't have a 65-inch screen TV in the narthex? to go with the $7,000 chandelier or whatever, however that goes. Instead, maybe we cut back on those things because we know there's a missionary who's hurting. Should we make sure that our children whom we love and the Lord has given us have the best of the best and a choice of 17 different snacks? Gluten-free, GMO, paleo, etc., etc., etc. Instead of making sure that those who love the Lord that we have said we would support last year that they have everything they need for this year. Don't hear me wrongly. I want our children to have snacks. I don't want them to starve to death. But I think there's a better way. And so, are you willing to be that church? So let's talk application for just a second as we wrap up. 
I love what Craig Blomberg says in Neither Poverty Nor Riches, a biblical theology of possessions. He says, Christian giving is a gift from the grace of God, which he enables the Christian to exercise. So even your ability to give doesn't come from you, it comes from God. It is a grace that is given to you that you then get to practice and celebrate in. Celebrate Him and celebrate His people and celebrate the work. So generosity should be these things. An act of worship as a result of God's generosity. If you, if you are generous, not because God has been generous to you, you will become self-righteous. It should also be a means of a deeper and more substantive fellowship with those whom you give. You should be involved with those whom you're giving to and know what's going on and praying for them. And it should be a clear and tangible evidence of our love for one another and our neighbor. We've got an opportunity. Hallie Schaefer needs a ride to Rome. And I know that, that just doesn't sound exciting right off the bat, but I don't know. Maybe she'll sing some songs, make some video. I don't know. She may even write a book about you and it. Who knows? But she needs help. Will you be generous, church? Or will you be more concerned with how it's going to stress, strain, curve your day? They have an ox in the ditch. What will we do? How will we love them for the six months that it's going to take to work some of this out? And that's not the only need they have. She also has medication that costs $1,200 a month, and I'm not even sure how many months she needs to take that medication. I haven't talked to them. I don't know. But insurance ain't going to pay for it. Now, you may say, well, I'm generously going to write a scathing letter to the insurance company. Now, if you're an insurance commissioner, please do. That'll have weight. If you're not, don't do that. They probably won't pay for anything else in her life. And so we have, there's lots of needs here. It's tough. She's family. They love the gospel. How can they continue to be afforded the ability to do what the Lord has called them to do? Will we do the First John 3 thing and say, well, we'll pray for you. I hope God meets that need. I know he loves you. And not be part of the solution? That's just one internal need. A clear and tangible evidence of our love for neighbor. And then the last thing is, is that it should be something that we actually prioritize. If you do not prioritize your generosity, then you will, as I've heard Greg say, if you aim at nothing generously, you will hit it every time. So do you prioritize, we need to prioritize, so that we can arrange our abundance to meet the needs of others. And we, American church, have abundance. So are any of these areas in which you need to grow in order to be able to glorify God? So here, remember, what is my role as pastor? Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it is to equip you, the saint. So I'm offering you Yet another opportunity, if you are struggling in any of these areas and you need equipping, you need help, you want to know how to better creatively do this. Remember, I'm not asking you to give more to Christ's community. I'm asking you to give more to the works that are going on all around us. Other things. Now, that doesn't mean take away from Christ's community because we've got to keep this thing rolling, right? But I want us to be known for being generous. So if you, if you are struggling in that and you need to grow, talk to me. I can't help you in what I don't know you need. There's all kind of things, all kind of studies we can do. There's all kind of ways in which we can attack this. And I want to help you if you need help. And there's other people that are gifted at this as well. Bill Tippins, I think, would be gifted at helping you to be generous. I don't know why I just thought that, but Bill, I volunteered you. You're welcome. <laughs> at some level. i, I got to pay him now probably for that. So um, there are people who can help you in this regard. And so don't, don't 
don't not grow in it and, and, and whine later about how you just didn't know what to do. No, it's been offered to you. Know what will you do with it? All right, let me pray for us as we close. And we're going to be transitioning into a time in which we're preparing, and you should have been preparing, for the Lord's table. Is there a greater picture of the generosity of God than the Lord's table? The broken body and shed blood of Christ for you? Dr. Larson's going to do the ordinance for us, but I just, as, you're, as I pray and as you're beginning to think and as we sing this first song and then he gives the ordinance, I want you to be thinking through how generous this table is and how the elements actually work to empower and strengthen your faith so that you too can be generous. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you for the opportunities for us to be generous, which affords us the ability to join in the work of the Trinity. Thank you for calling your church to be generous. Thank you for giving us opportunity to see your work go forward. Thank you for calling us to be at work where you are at work. You are so gracious and good to us. God, I pray that we would have the courage this day and in the days going forward to seek your spirit to show us our anxieties, to show us our dark places, to show us the things that keep us from being generous and to truly be set free so that we can be a generous church because you have called us to be generous out of your generosity. We pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen.